Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today's message comes from the Old Testament reading of Exodus, as you heard a few moments ago. Your brothers and sisters in Christ, think about this. What's the worst thing that has ever happened to you in your life? Now, for some of you, this might be a really easy answer. Maybe it's because you haven't experienced a whole lot of things in your life except maybe one terrible thing. Maybe it's because you've experienced so many bad things that the worst of them is the easiest to name. But maybe for others of you, it's not so easy. Maybe it's because you've experienced some bad things, but maybe they're not that bad. Maybe they're bearable. Or maybe it's hard to think of just one because you've had a pretty sheltered life and you've been protected from most of the worst kinds of things. But what is it? Is it sickness? Disease? Maybe for you? Maybe for your loved one? Your parent? Your spouse? your child. Maybe it's the loss of a job, and with that, the loss of income that led to losing other things as well. Your house, your car, the luxurious life you used to live. Maybe you got into an accident, and it took away some of the physical abilities you had. You just can't do things like you used to do them. Maybe the worst thing that's happened to you in your life is that you've had a friend betray you. And as a result of that, you lost a number of other friends because of it, and you're feeling all alone in the world. Maybe you've been on the other end of that, and and you've spread lies about someone else, and, and you got caught. And then you lost all of your friends because of your deception. Maybe it's sin. Maybe you feel like you're trapped in sin right now and you just can't get out. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. It's like you're, you're stuck in the mud and you just can't get out. Just too heavy to lift yourself out. Or maybe it's like quicksand and you're slowly sinking down. What's the worst thing? Is it death? The death of a loved one? The death of a parent? The death of a spouse? The person that you committed yourself to, for better or worse, richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, in life and in death. Often on our wedding day, we'll say these vows, but we'll stare at the eyes of our bride or groom. And as we do that, are we, are we actually picturing, envisioning what it's like with them? What the future holds? When we say these vows, are we imagining sitting in a hospital bed holding their hand as they take their last breath? 
finally similar to what we see in the reading from Exodus today. Maybe the worst thing is the death of a child. The child that never made it out of the womb. The child that never had a chance to care for their dying parents because their parents had to care for that dying child. The child that made it out of the womb, but not for very long. Certainly not how this world was intended to be. How God created it. And what if the death of your child was forced upon you? It's possible that if you were a a Hebrew, an Israelite, living at the time of Exodus chapters 1 and 2, you might rank the nation that you live in, are enslaved in, wanting to kill your child at the top of the worst things that could happen. That threat of impending death. Everyone you know or yourself, whenever they conceive, there's those moments of waiting, anticipating. Is it a boy? Is it a girl? And when I give birth, if it's a boy, what do I do? Am I going to let my baby drown in the Nile River? Thankfully, God's word doesn't record the number of deaths that happen like this for the Israelites. What it does record is one brave family that decided against sacrificing their child, instead risking that child's life in hope of survival. One mother, and I think all of you moms out there will understand this, one mother who looked into the face of her child that first time after delivering them, staring at them eyes wide open and saying, Hi, I'm your mom. Or whatever you may have said. Whatever that interaction may have been. And then realizing that this is your baby. The baby that you have carried for all of these months. The baby that gave you heartburn. The baby that decided your ribs were the best place for their feet. That baby that is now crying for you. Now, moms especially, but dads maybe so, but for sure, you can imagine why this Hebrew mother just couldn't do it. Apart from knowing that it was already wrong. So she hides this baby for as long as she can. For three months. And I mean, Pharaoh did command every male child to be cast into the Nile River. And I mean, technically that is what this mother did. Except before she did, she put him in a basket, waterproofed it, and then placed it among the reeds on the riverbank. Now, we don't really know what the hope or the expectation of this was. But we do know that this baby's sister was watching to see what would happen. So they obviously knew something would happen. And who knows if they expected Pharaoh's daughter of all people to come to the water. But here she comes, and she sees this basket. They take it, and they open it, and there's a crying baby inside. 
And Pharaoh's daughter certainly knows the command from her father about all the male babies, but she has pity on this baby. And since the baby's sister is watching, she says, and this is a great line, shall I go call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. And who do you think the sister is going to go get to nurse this baby? But none other than this child's and her very own mother. And just think about how all of these things had to fall into place, right? The protection of the parents for this baby. The currents of the Nile River not taking that baby away. The heart of Pharaoh's daughter. And you can see how God uses all of these things to further his plan and his purpose. The safety of this baby, ultimately in order to save the Israelites from slavery. Of course, it wasn't that simple, but it is the beginning. So then this baby's mom raises him until he's handed over to Pharaoh's daughter, who names him Moses. Because she said, I drew him out of the water. Moses meaning to draw out. Right? And being raised an Egyptian certainly had its privileges. And we see from the reading of Acts that Moses became wise and strong in words and deeds. And then one, one day, Moses sees the burdens of his people as an Egyptian beats a Hebrew. And so he kills that Egyptian and buries him in the sand. Moses did this to defend and avenge the beaten Israelite, but also with the expectation that his fellow Israelites would recognize him as their deliverer. Moses seemed to act like a prince given his royal background. He acted like a judge in that he determined that one of these men did something wrong. He seemed to be the perfect prince and judge for Israel. But it didn't work out like he thought it would. Moses thought he would draw out, lead the people to deliverance and salvation. But instead, they don't want him. The people don't accept Moses and they don't accept his actions. It's almost like in rejecting Moses, they said, we don't want you to rule over us. We don't want you to tell us what to do. That's probably the worst thing that could happen. Then, of course, Pharaoh finds out about what Moses has done and seeks to kill him. So Moses runs away. He's rejected. His life is now demanded of him. And his response is that he flees. He runs off. He goes on and hides in a foreign land. When you think about the worst thing that's happened to you in your life, what did you do? How did you respond? Did you run away and hide? Physically? Mentally? Emotionally? Did you seclude yourself from everyone else? How did you react? Moses runs away. He begins a new life with a wife and a kid and puts it all behind him. It certainly seems like Moses has forgotten about his people. 
but God didn't. And that Pharaoh that was hunting for Moses, he dies. But the people of Israel continue in slavery. And God hears their cries. He remembered the people of Israel and his covenant with them. With Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Israel. It wasn't anything that the people had done to deserve God's recognition and attention. Rather, it was God's promise to his people. And he is faithful to his promises. He knew. He knew what he had to do. And we'll see the continuation of this next week. Fast forward to our lives today as God's people. And we're going to see that God deals with us in the same way. There's nothing that we do that makes us deserving of God's recognition, of God's attention. In fact, Jesus tells us that we are all slaves to sin because of our sin. And as slaves, we are bound to the punishments of sin. That's death. And that's hell. That's condemnation. And since we are slaves, we cannot free ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. And just like the Israelites in slavery who needed a deliverer, we need someone to deliver us from the bonds of sin and death. We need to be rescued. The good news is that God remembers his promises, his covenants to his people. And this goes back to the first promise in the garden that he would send a savior, the serpent crusher, the one who would come and defeat Satan and sin and death once and for all. He doesn't come as a prince. He doesn't come as a king, as many thought he would. He comes as a baby, born of the virgin, the son of man and the son of God. And his name means something too. And you can imagine Mary's interaction with that baby. Hi, I'm your mom. And you're my son, the son of God. And we're going to call you Jesus. Because you will save your people from their sins. From the slavery of sin, from the bonds of death. And as he lives, he grows and he's welcomed into Jerusalem like a king. By his people. But only days later he is rejected by those same people. Moses could not deliver his people when he lived in the high places of glory in Egypt in Pharaoh's court. He would have to come down off of that place of power, away from the palace, come in a humble place before he could deliver his people. So too with Jesus, who left his throne in heaven to come to his people. And just like Moses Jesus was rejected at his first coming. But this time, it's because, unlike Moses, he didn't rule over them and sit on the throne and free them from those who were already ruling over them. 
He's mocked. He's beaten. Crowned with thorns. And he's nailed to the cross as the king of the Jews. And as we go to the cross, we see Mary again. Looking at her son face to face. As he breathed his last breath. This son, who would be the savior of the world, dies before her very eyes. But it was all a part of God's plan. Because he remembers his people. He remembers his promises. And he is faithful. He is faithful to rescue. He is faithful to save. He is faithful to the cries of his people. He cares about us. He loves us. And there is nothing greater that he has done for us than laying down his life for us. Because it's in Jesus' death that we find the forgiveness of our sins, where he dies in our place for us. It's in the resurrection from the dead where he overcomes death, giving us the promise that because he is risen, we too shall rise. It is in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that salvation is won for us. And today we see salvation come to us again. Just like Moses was saved in the water of the Nile, little Elias found salvation in the waters of baptism. This is one of those means of grace that Christ has given to his church, the means of forgiveness, the means of salvation. Because here in these waters, with God's word, he calls us as his dearly loved children. As the water pours over us, our sins are washed away. As we receive the sign of the cross upon our forehead and upon our heart, we are marked as one redeemed by Christ the crucified. Here is where God again chooses us. Here is where God again rescues us. Here is where God again keeps his promises. Where God does his work, where God saves his people, where the Holy Spirit creates faith. And he uses water, little old water, and his word to do it. Not because we deserve it, not because we have earned it, but because we haven't earned it and because we don't deserve it. There are lots of bad things that happen in our lives. There's lots of sickness and disease and pain and suffering. There's plenty of sin and plenty of death. But Christ has done everything he can to save us from it all. Maybe not in this life. Maybe not on this earth will we all be healed, but certainly in the life to come. Eternal life for all his people. Those who believe in him by the power of the Holy Spirit. And for many of us, that begins 
in our baptism. And it continues. As we gather as his people and worship and hear his word, as we receive the forgiveness of our sins in the words of absolution, and as we come to the altar and receive Christ's body and blood for the forgiveness of our sins, for the strengthening of our faith, and for our salvation. Jesus saves us in his death and resurrection, and he continues to save us through his means of grace. As his word and his faithful promises declare, this is most certainly true. Amen. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.